pediatric speech language pathologist and welcome to teach me to talk the podcast now today's podcast is show number 383 and we're calling it sign language for babies and toddlers and you know I know that this video with this title on YouTube is going to bring in lots and lots of new parents who've never even thought about their child having a language delay who were just out there looking for information for helping their baby learn how to communicate with them. And if that's you, if this is the very first time you're joining me, welcome. And I have an entire line of videos here on YouTube and certainly a whole website to help teach you tips to get your own baby or toddler moving in the direction of talking and communicating with you. Now, for those of you who are regulars, if you're a regular podcast listener, uh, keep doing that. And again, you can still, if you're a therapist, get continuing education credits for listening to the podcast and then simply go into my website, teachmetotalk.com, and then uh, accessing the show there, paying your $5 processing fee, and then getting an hour's worth of continuing education credit for something you already do, which is listening to the show. Now, if you are watching on YouTube, and here's the thing about the video podcast. You know, I used to be able to do the podcast in my pajamas or after I'd worked all night, and you could just hear my voice. You couldn't see me. Well, boy, what a shock today when I have just burn the midnight oil all week long and I'm looking at myself on camera today thinking oh no <laughs> I can't fake it like I used to sometimes and so again if you are watching and uh, noticing that noticing more wrinkles it is just because we are working night and day to get our mission-based clinic here in central Kentucky off the ground I'm working on another fantastic follow-up uh, to uh, is it autism on the course on DVD I'm actually doing a workbook series for that so look for that in early 2020 and so we just have so many great things going on again I'm afraid that it might be showing a little bit on my face today so just wanted to sort of put out a little disclaimer for that but today's topic is so important because we're talking about the benefits of using sign language with babies and again this is something that has just really uh, erupted in popular culture and it kind of goes in fashion and out of fashion even in the field of speech language pathology. Now when I first started, when I went and got my uh, bachelor's degree back in the 80s, we were signing a little bit with kids and then as I did grad school in the early 90s, the popular culture kind of took over sign language and so signing for babies or baby signs were really really popular and then we all did it as speech language pathologists because we felt like and I still feel like this that signs are such a bridge to spoken communication and I'll give you the scientific reasons why in just a minute those evidence-based reasons but again it's just it took over and everybody was doing it child care workers were signing teachers were signing uh, all kinds of educators, uh, doctors, all kinds of professionals sort of jumped on this bandwagon. And after a little bit, speech-language pathologists started to pull back. And that was really interesting to me because as a, as a, a practitioner, as someone who was on the floor with kids all day, every day, I saw the benefits of signing. And so when I started to read research or read, not really research, but read 
articles and blog posts with therapists who were kind of pulling back a little bit, that was a surprise for me. And if that has been you, I hope that watching this course or listening to this course, I can give you some reasons why this is still a really great strategy for babies and toddlers, even those with typically developing language skills who just are right on the verge of talking. And then certainly for our late talking little friends who have language delays or speech disorders or whatever, whatever's going on with them that seems to be a barrier to preventing them from learning to communicate. So first of all, let's just start with four benefits for teaching babies and toddlers to use signs to communicate. And again, this isn't just limited to kids with delays. This would be all children. But for those of us who are early interventionists, these would be therapists or professionals who primarily work with children in that birth to three, or if you wanna be like me and cheat a little bit and go maybe to four, what, what is the biggest benefit there? And for most of the children on our caseload, signing is the fastest and the easiest way to reduce frustration. And that would be frustration on the part of the child in that he knows he has something to say. He knows he has a message to convey. But for whatever reason, his little mouth and his little system is just not developmentally ready to talk yet. And so with signs, we are giving him another way to communicate and another avenue. And again, for lots of children, getting signs going is pretty easy. It's pretty quick. And so not only do we reduce that child's frustration, but also the parent's frustration because they have this little person who they have just been dying to know what they're thinking for a year or two now, or maybe even older. And again, when those words aren't coming, it is so just uh, heartbreaking for so many parents who are just waiting and waiting and waiting. And we can get in there as therapists and start to teach some signs in that very first meeting with a family. And what happens then? Parents for the first time feel hope. They feel excited. They feel like, yes, my child can do this. Yes, there's a way. He's not talking yet, but I know that there's a way out of this and I can see some success today and I feel good about him today. And I feel great about my ability as his mom or his dad to be able to share this uh, communication gift that we all have. I can, I can start to see some things and hear some things from him that I haven't been able to see before because he can finally tell me some things on his own and I'm just not having to interpret that. So again, the first benefit of signing is that we can reduce frustration, not only for the child, but also for a child's family because we're giving them a way to begin to communicate. Second benefit for using sign language, and again, this is a more a little more therapy driven, but it builds joint attention. Now, what is joint attention? Joint attention is the ability to share an experience. It means that you and the child are both paying attention to the same thing. Uh, I read an article years and years ago from uh, someone at Vanderbilt University, and I wish that I had the complete reference, but it talked about a triad of attention is what's required for joint attention. That means the kid, the adult, and something that you both are sharing or paying attention to. So if I had a child here and he wanted my Yeti, <laughs> that is what would be the kind of the object of our joint attention. And the reason that signs build joint attention are it gives a child a reason to look at you and you're, you're performing a symbol here that you are establishing that communicative message and then you're talking about another object. So again, the child is more likely to include you because he's watching you, he's, he's making eye contact with you. Again, he's, he's keeping you in 
his focus and in his field of vision. And that does build joint attention. And for so many of our little light talking friends, joint attention is a real deficit that parents don't even realize yet. We get really um, focused on paying attention, and this is fantastic, child-directed uh, attention on our part. We get focused on paying attention to what they're paying attention to and talking about it and narrating it. So again, if we were talking about my Yeti here, we would say something like, cup, whoa, look, do you want to drink? There's that cup or there's the glass, whatever you want to call it. And again, that's the focus here. And when we have, uh, when we're using signs like that, or, or what happens here with this cup is sometimes the child then leaves you out. He becomes so intently focused on the object that you are talking about and that you have rightly narrated for him that he loses uh, focus with you. He doesn't automatically include you in that conversation. So when you are using signs and when we get a child really accustomed to watching us, to seeing what our hands are doing as we're communicating, again, that facilitates joint attention. So that's the second benefit of using sign language with babies and toddlers. Uh, and you know, it, let me just say too, educators may not call this joint attention or parenting experts. They may use terms that are more emotionally based. So they may say things like bonding or that you are fostering a better emotional attachment. And again, whatever you call it, who cares? The point is that you want the child, including you as his uh, communication partner or as his teacher, if you want to think about it that way. And so signs, again, give us a way to do that. So he is focused on you and building that bond or joint attention or emotional attachment, whatever you want to call it, that shared experience. All right, the third benefit to teaching sign language to babies and toddlers are signs are a bridge to words. And we talked about this uh, a minute ago with it's just an avenue, it's just a way. Uh, some children really need it in between step when they're learning how to communicate. And again, when those words are not coming in as we would expect between 1, 15, 16 months, when we haven't started to hear those first words, we know that those kids really do need, again, a bridge, a way to get them there. The therapy reason that we can say that signs are a bridge to words are that gestures always precede or come before spoken words. And again, that's your evidence-based practice here in that gestures come first. And signs are certainly an extension of gestures. So when I say gestures, if you're a parent watching this and that's a new term for you, these are just all the nonverbal ways that we communicate. As you've probably noticed by now, I talk a lot with my hands. I can hardly uh, keep my hands in my lap or I can hardly not use them. And we all do that. We point to things that we want. We point to things that we want other people to take notice of. That's what we were referring to with joint attention. We shake our heads yes and no. Uh, you know, we give a little woohoo. We're kind of a fist bump in the air there when we're excited. And all of us use gestures like thumbs up, you know, all day long. And so signs, again, are a natural extension of that nonverbal communication that all of us use. And so especially for uh, we speech language pathologists, you know, we know that research tells us that a child's ability to gesture and even imitate motor actions at 18 months is the biggest and best predictor of how his language will be at 36 months. So when we have children who are having a little bit of difficulty getting that uh, communicative 
cycle or that just that whole that whole process going we have to jumpstart that and so we have to get in there and get those gestures going we're going to talk a little bit more about gestures in a few minutes but i do want you to know that that is just one of the biggest evidence-based reasons or research supported reasons that we can use sign language and then the fourth benefit of teaching babies and toddlers to use signs to communicate is that it does provide additional motor practice to get those little systems primed and ready now when we use a gesture we're mostly using gross motor or our big body movements and again if you haven't thought about it in that way but you could I guess if you were an OT make a case that, that signing would be more fine motor but really gross motor means that you're going to use your big muscles like your arms and your legs and you're certainly doing that when you're using signs speech is really an extension of that speech is really a fine motor skill now we all think about it in the developmental domain of communication and that's fine but unless motorically your body is working Working as it's intended to work, speech is going to be difficult for you. And so for lots of our little guys who have some neurological differences, those are going to cause some speech and language delays. And so for me as a scientist or a speech pathologist who, who thinks about using science, is everything I am doing rooted in science, this makes a lot of sense to me is I've got to jumpstart that little physical system. I've got to get that primed and ready so that we can go from growth motor control or from big body movements to a more refined system where we're thinking about that speech system and that we are again moving a child from that more uh, that more global control to a more finely tuned system and so uh, I, I love using signs for that reason. Our little guys who will eventually be diagnosed with motor planning issues with apraxia are certainly our little friends with obvious muscle tone differences. Our little friends who have lower muscle tone, uh, who have maybe Down syndrome or cerebral palsy, or even with our friends who have some muscle rigidity or higher muscle tone, again with cerebral palsy. Those kinds of, or any kind of neurological or medical diagnosis that's really caused that to be different. Uh, signs are going to be great for those kids because they give them that additional motor system practice. Now sometimes the motor system, the issues that a child has with either motor planning or motor control or even strength will limit how accurate his signs are and that is okay. Again, we're looking at this as practice and we're talking about this with very, very young children babies at about that 12 to 18 month level you know and they become toddlers during that period all the way through that early preschool period and again now that's the developmental period where all their little systems are coming together so anything we can do to help uh, facilitate and foster development in whatever area is uh, certainly going to be worth our while all right and you can get tons of references about signing I'm going to include some there at uh, if you purchase the continuing education credit for this course you'll be able to look at that and again not so much to drive this with impressing upon you that signing is evidence-based but I want to give you just some really really great resources to share with parents who might be a little bit concerned about signing and and the the objections that we have with parents with signing is sometimes they say if I teach him how to sign he won't be as motivated to talk or 
that will somehow limit him talking and that is absolutely not true and so I'm going to give you some really good just real life everyday references from places like Parenting Magazine and PsychNet and those kinds of things again not to support the science piece of this but just so that you can uh, help parents feel a little bit better about it and understand it better all right now when we're talking about all these great benefits you can't just then really start in and say fantastic I'm gonna start today with signing there are some prerequisite skills that will make signing uh, well as a therapist you'll be able to predict success a little bit better and again that's why some of us fail when we begin to teach uh, or use any kind of strategy with the child we are not really considering what do I have to do to get this kid ready? What are some things that would tell me whether he is a great candidate to uh, be a strong signer or whether we have some other things that we have to address first? So let me give you some of these easy signing prerequisites. And again, I've learned this the hard way in my over 25 year career as a speech pathologist. And so if you're a parent watching this or listening to this as well, these are the things, this will let you know if signs work for your, will work for your child or not. And so if you are also listening and or watching and I have a lot of parents in this category your children are older now they are four they're five they're six but you're realizing I've got to go back to the basics because they're still not talking yet and so your children are still in this earliest earliest developmental period and so you may have tried signs and you may be thinking you know that just did not work for us let me give you some reasons why that may not have worked. And again, these are all prerequisites too. So now you'll know what the problem is and you'll know what you can address and what it, it will, uh, what, what you can do to help signing be a successful strategy for your child. Or as a therapist, you can certainly use this information to tweak your treatment plans or to talk with parents and say, you know, I know why that didn't work for us. I know we tried signs a few months ago and we, we felt like we should just move on to something else. Else, but let's go back and visit that and here's why and here's what we're going to do different this time so let me give you these five prerequisites that a child has to uh, acquire before we know he's going to have lots of success with sign language first of all he has to be socially connected so what does that mean that means he's making eye contact with you he's staying with you we've already talked about joint attention he's able to share an experience with you and why is the social connection important before we can begin to teach signs because what does it matter if you are sitting over here signing and you know you're doing candy and that's the sign for candy your index finger on your cheek here that you were signing candy or treat or whatever you call it and your child is over doing his own thing does he even get that you've done the sign absolutely not he's paying attention to something else so you have to have children socially connected enough with you so that they are engaged with you and interacting with you and watching you and wanting to include you with that and so when we don't have a kid who's socially connected when we have kids that are really intrinsically motivated meaning again they're doing their own thing all the time we have to build that social connection first so things like social games things where you are uh, keeping them with you all day every day where you're doing everything you can to get them in the habit of listening and responding and including you so that's that's the first thing kids have to be socially connected the second prerequisite for signing is children have to start to understand what some words mean so we're looking at the very beginning of receptive language or language comprehension development this uh, really again isn't that a child needs to be following tons of different commands before we say that he's going to be a good signer that's not what I mean but I do mean that he should be doing very basic things like understanding a give me command 
Or when you start to say, I think I heard the door. I think Dada's home. Do you think Dad's home? Let's go find Daddy. So that he's listening to you and he's understanding that you want him to do something and that your words mean something. And he connect, He can connect what you were saying with things going on around him. So that has to be coming in too. So when we have children, again, who are not really listening to language and who are still checked out and doing their own thing, you know, that's not, a, a pro, not only a problem socially here, but it's a problem with receptive language because we want them understanding. Kids have to understand words before they can use those words to talk. So we want that receptive language piece moving along. And how do we know? He starts to follow some little directions, like we said of when we have our hands out and we say, give me your cup. He starts to do that. Or when we say, do you want up? And he pops his little arms up because he knows that we're going to pick him up then. He may not be uh, uh, following multiple step commands yet, but he is understanding very basic simple, familiar kinds of directions. And then we know he's ready to start to learn some sign language. Our third signing prerequisite here is that a child has communicative intent. Now, what does that mean? That means the child understands that I've got to do something so that I can get something. And so we know that children start to understand that when we see them reach for things, when they use their give me fingers or their want sign or whatever you call it there, when they are whining so that they tell you, hey, I've got a need here. I want you to meet it for me. That's communicative intent. Now, therapists refer to that as pragmatics or language use, but it is so important that children start to have that to come in. And again, when we have a child who doesn't have that, we know signing's not going to be as effective to him because what are we doing? We're adding something when we're signing. We're having him do a motor action. And so if he doesn't have that really basic drive or that basic intent first to let you know that there's something that he needs from you, you know, that's the piece that's missing with those children. And so that's what you'll have to work on with that. We'll talk a little bit about some ways that you can do that in a minute. But, but that's a prerequisite. We have to have that communicative intent going. The fourth basic prerequisite for signing is that children can do something basic motor movement so that they can use their arms and so for most children that's not going to be a problem but for some of our children who uh, have uh, significant weakness or paralysis or just lots of problems with control of course we're going to need to look at some other systems for them but I'll just tell you that I've used signs pretty successfully with children who have had some uh, pretty severe motor issues or motor delays or motor disorders and signing actually has helped them because they are learning to control their little bodies. So what do you look for? You look for their ability to imitate really easy motor movements. So things like clapping. You know, if a child can't clap, there's no way he can sign more. Can you see that connection there? So if you're a therapist and you have a child who can't get his hands to midline, Signing's not realistic for that child yet. You've got to get him there physically. And as a speech language pathologist, you may think, well, how am I gonna do that? That's not really my job. That's why we have physical therapists and occupational therapists. And so for some of us, for some of our kids, their work really needs to be focused on getting that physical system and getting that motor system up and running a little bit better. And there are certainly some other things we can do. Uh, some other AAC uh, methodologies that we can use at that point. But the, one of the things that I really want to impress upon you in this course is, is thinking about, you know, why, why would this strategy work or not work for this child? And so when we have a kid that can't get to midline, again, signs just aren't going to be uh, 
appropriate for that child. Other, other kinds of easy motor actions. What are some other things that a child can imitate? Even something like hands up when you are doing yay or something like a, a little song. Like if you're happy and you know it, boy, you can just rule out <laughs> right away whether a child is going to be able to imitate some uh, simple motor movement. So as a parent, that might be something you can try today with your child to see, uh, is, is he ready to learn some signs? And so teach him a little song like, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands or uh, stomp your foot or shake your arms. Get some of that early motor imitation going because I tell you, if a kid can't do these kinds of really, really easy things, there's no way he can learn more complicated things like signs. And so that should be something that you should be saying to parents. If you are an SLP or an early interventionist and you're thinking about using signs, you might say, we've got to get some of this motor imitation going first because I think that signs would be a good strategy for him. But if, he, if we can't get this going first, we know it's going to be a while later. And again, if you're a parent that you've been thinking signs didn't work for me before, you may be having kind of an aha light bulb moment right now because you're thinking, well, he doesn't ever wave bye-bye or I, I've been trying to get him to point for months and I, I just, I cannot get that going. That's the reason he's not a good signer and that's why sign language didn't work for him before. And so you have to back up and work on these easier, earlier skills and get this motor imitation piece going first. All right, the fifth prerequisite for signing is that children are becoming symbolic. That means that they have learned that I can use a body movement or emotion with my little body, I can do something and my mom knows that I want this or she knows that I mean this. And that's what like waving bye-bye is. When we wave bye, we are saying what? We're saying, see you later. I'm out of here. Either you are leaving or I'm leaving. <laughs> but that's, that's the symbol. That waving represents one of us is leaving here and I will see you later. And so we have to have some evidence that children are cognitively assigning that sort of meaning and so things like we talked about with gestures shaking your head yes or no when a child really starts to learn that he can put his hands out to refuse or shake his head no that you know what that means and again that's a prerequisite because it lets us know he knows I can do something here and it means something to you you will interpret that message for me so those are the five prerequisites for uh, signing and this really again predicts predict success. We'll know if a child is going to be able to sign or not, whether this would work for him based on those five areas. And those are things that therapists should really be explaining to parents. And if, especially if you're a therapist, you know, I sort of made a career uh, my first 10 years or so in early intervention being the replacement therapist where they would have someone else and it wasn't really working out for them. And I, I, took a lot of kids that had seen other therapists, you know, hard kids. And one of the things that I always liked doing with parents is sort of looking at what they had already tried and then deciding why something worked or didn't work. And you know, that really empowers parents. You're not slamming another therapist or another professional for what they did or didn't do. You're just simply ruling out what has worked, why it worked or why it didn't work. And so that was certainly something I did a lot. And so that's where I really learned these 
these really things that seem so basic, but they're things that you don't really learn in grad school or that you don't really think about and connect like you should have, or certainly I didn't learn that back in the 80s and 90s when I went to school. And so again, this is just a process and you're able to explain that to parents a little bit better. And if you're a therapist, you do want to find these explanations and you do want to help parents understand about their children and, and their, their lack of improvement or lack of progress, especially when they're really getting negative about speech therapy and they're starting to feel like they're losing hope. They're, they're feeling like this might not work for my child. So you want to talk with them about uh, why something's not working and, and give them some of those reasons. All right, so let's kind of, we've sort of gotten a little bit negative here. Let's talk about, let's say we have a kid who is socially connected and we have a kid who is using some gestures and understanding uh, what words mean. And we have a kid who is using communicative intent and he is able to imitate those basic motor movements. What do we do? We introduce some signs. And so uh, one other piece of advice that I want to get to before I show you the signs that I use and that we talk about those is what can we do to really the, the number one thing that we can do to make signing successful is to pick the biggest motivator that we can find now what do I mean by motivator I mean what will a kid work for what's his currency what will he do something for so that he can get what he wants and for kids it's different things sometimes it's a toy sometimes it's something like bubbles or a balloon or a car that he loves, or a piece to a toy that he really, really needs. And so he's so motivated because he loves that toy and he loves that activity. And so you've given him, you're withholding what he wants until he signs that for you so that you can, he can get that from you. And so again, this motivator piece is really, really big. Some kids don't really care about toys at all. They're more driven by, say, food. I always have a snack bag with me <laughs> when I am uh, working with toddlers because food, frankly, is motivating for nearly everybody. Now, we'll have our picky eaters who uh, don't really get turned uh, on too much by goldfish and chocolate chip cookies and all the other kinds of things I have in here. But guys, for most kids, this really does work. And so if you're a therapist who's really shied away from using food, I want you to reconsider that position. Get yourself a snack bag. Uh, I didn't go through that, but again, I just have so many things, little treats in there, and I like to put them in those boxes that children can't really open without me. And again, that is motivating because I need to be a part of this equation <laughs> so that they can uh, get the snack that they want. So for some kids, it's junk food, and the kids who don't care about that, who don't care about toys find what they like for lots of those kids it's really movement so a movement game so that means you might be do some, doing something like throwing them up in the air or letting them jump on the bed or bouncing them on a trampoline or letting them go down the slide and so again you're you're stopping it you're prohibiting their movement until you see that sign and it is better when you can do something that it's not so limiting some some kind of action that they need you for so like throwing them in the air or spinning them around in a chair really, really fast that they couldn't do by themselves. Some kind of little movement there. So those are the primary things that I use as motivators. Toys, food, or some kind of movement game. All right, so how do we introduce signs? What do we do that we can make it more likely that a child will learn to use this sign on his or her own? And this little cueing strategy, this tagline, I use it all the time. I came up with it when I... Uh, 
did, when we were producing our DVD, uh, Teach Me to Listen and Obey 1 and 2, and I started thinking, what, what do I really say to parents? Is there some kind of way that I really say this so parents get it? And it's it just has stuck since 2008, and I want to share it with you, and it's in nearly every therapy manual I write and every course that I teach, but it's tell him, show him, help him. Tell him means that you're giving him verbal cues, so we're going to give him some verbal cues with how to sign. We'll tell him how to do it. Show him means that we're going to model the sign so that he can watch us and he can see visually what he should be doing. And then lastly, helping. We're going to give him some physical assistance to perform that little sign. And so we cue in that order too. Tell him, show him, help him. And why is that? Because we want to go from the least amount of assistance to the most amount of assistance. So we don't start at the at just the the heaviest level of cueing here with physical cues, we go back and we see, I want, I want to provide just, a, just enough assistance for this child to be able to uh, perform this skill as independently as possible. So tell him, show him, help him. Do not over rely on hand over hand assistance with getting a child to sign because a child, at, when you start to do that, when you just reach out and make his little hands do anything you want him to do to perform the sign, and he's not, he's so passive with that, you are creating an over dependence on you and you are making it so much less likely that he will not sign spontaneously or on his own. So do everything you can. You can get up to the physical assistance and help him at that point, but quickly fade that physical help so he is not overly dependent on that. Uh, so we want the child to become super independent so that he is signing on his own. So again, think about that, tell him, show him, help him, and we do it in that order. And if he can imitate the sign just from seeing it from you, you stop right there and don't go to that physical helping. And that's a big, big, big thing that we as therapists need to be telling parents about signing is give them the physical help in the beginning, but fade that because we want them doing the sign on their own as quickly as possible. All right, so let's get talking about now what specific signs you should teach. Now, I like to teach signs that are general and all-purpose requesting words first. Now, some of you who are SLPs might have learned it a different way. And you might be thinking, mm, I don't know about that. And he here's what's going on with this. Again, when we had that big signing explosion in the 90s and everybody was early 2000s, everybody was doing it, we were all on board. We started to notice as a field that some children, particularly a subset of kids, and I'm specifically referring to children who have red flags for autism, when we taught, first it was hard to teach them signs, and again, it makes a lot of sense when you go back and look at that signing prerequisites list, it was hard to teach them signs because they weren't as socially connected and they weren't as symbolic because those are core deficits of autism. If you have a child who's really been having difficulty learning signs, go back and look at that and see if you can start to pick out some diagnostic reasons and some things that they're struggling with that lead you to think, oh, well, no wonder that didn't sign didn't signing didn't work for that child because their core deficits are in this area. And again, what we did as a field is we sort of took then what we were seeing having difficulty with with a certain subset of children and then we overgeneralized it. We said, well, if our little friends with autism are having difficulty 
generalizing signs and if they are just staying stuck with a sign like more or sign like please let's just quit teaching more and please let's just only teach signs that have one specific referent for that so we're only going to teach sign like car only going to teach sign like bubbles and we won't ever teach these general all-purpose things because a child might get stuck I just have a hard time following that logic because the reason that I like these all-purpose signs is the same reason that, that some therapists hate them. I like that a kid can practice all day, every day. I like that the sign more, he can use it for 10 different things at home because I think it gives him more opportunity for practice. And I think that a parent then has more opportunities to create an environment where they're really communicating with their children. And so I, we can't just take something that we've learned from one subset of children or one one niche population of children and then completely throw out the strategy because we think that it's no longer valid. I mean, that is pretty silly to me. Another reason that people don't like to use these all-purpose signs is because, again, they think that children overgeneralize, like we just talked about. But guys, as kids learn language, that they all overgeneralize, even with words. They'll, a child will see a man and until he's two, what might he call every man he sees? He might call them every man dada. Why? Because that's who the man is at his house or he's closest to is dada. And so, or, or every round object, he sees an apple and he calls it ball. Why? Because children overgeneralize. And that's all right. And so we don't need to really limit the science that we teach based on that. Because can you see how if we tie it to typical development, it's, it's all right that if a child does that. So I still stick with these all-purpose requests. And again, I wrote an article about this, gosh, four or five years ago now. It's called uh, In Defense of More, 10 Reasons I Still Teach the Sign for More First. So if you want to get that, go to Teach Me to Talk and look that up. And I'll try to link that in the post here on YouTube too so that you can look at that. But I think these all-purpose signs really, really are the most effective, particularly when we're talking about toddlers, when we're talking about babies and toddlers, kids in that 12 to 24 to 30, 36 month range because they are still in this earliest developmental period. And again, we want to do everything we can to facilitate communication. And so when there are kids that are having those specific problems like overgeneralizing or not linking meaning, the receptive language issues, they are gonna have a little bit more difficulty maybe getting stuck with signs. But again, that's our issue to deal with as adults. We need to keep them moving along. So you don't just teach one or two signs. You teach those to get it going in the first week or two that you're working with signs. But after that, you know, oh, the sky is the limit. I've had kids who, you know, who've learned almost a hundred signs. And again, that's before they're talking or lots and lots of children use signs as a compensatory strategy because their speech intelligibility is so poor and so they're so difficult to understand. And so signs really help their parents understand them with what they're trying to communicate. So again, don't get too hung up on these little, we shouldn't teach signs because of this or teach signs because of that. And there are, like we talked about, certain populations where you might go with a different AAC or Alternative Augmentative Communication System first. Our little friends with autism do better with pictures, with picture exchange communication system. Or our little friends who have severe motor problems will do better with a speech generating device, an SGD, or some other kind of 
tablet or app-based system because the motoric demands are certainly going to be lower than they would with signing. And so just think about that, but don't throw out signs as a strategy as, you know, it's no longer good for anybody just because these certain subsets of kids have difficulty with it. And I hope that makes sense to you. All right, so let's move on here and talk about um, these first all-purpose signs. And if you're a parent, you're probably saying, finally, she's to the point of this presentation that I wanted to get to. I want her to teach me some signs. So let's just go with these one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight signs that I teach first. And I teach them usually in this order or however they come up. But again, these are super, super practical for children. And guys, they're all requesting words because why? We're working on that communicative intent piece. I have to what? Do something to get something. So more is the first sign that I, I teach everybody. Um, and it's pretty easy. If a kid can clap, he can do more. And actually lots of children do clap for more and that's okay because this is just a bridge. This is just a temporary system. And so it's all right if they make these modifications and their own little adjustments. It's fine if they are not accurate completely. And we're not going for perfection here. We're just going for what? We're going for communication. So if you as a mom or dad or therapist understand what they mean, that's the child's sign. So go with it from there. So more is a great one. And again, I picked those three things that we already talked about, the most powerful motivators for toddlers. What were they? Food, a toy, or a movement game. So pick one of those things that you think the child would like. If we were using food here, I would have my little snack bag. Let's just get it out and just do it. I would have my snack bag here, and if they liked gummies, I would have the gummies here, and I would give them a gummy, and then the net, when they're ready for the next one, I would model, you know, oh, you want more? Tell me more, tell me more, and what am I doing here? I'm telling and I'm showing. He's gotta have that visual model to see if he'll imitate that to get it. And, and so you use your little three to five time cue here. You show him and tell him three to five times, and then if he doesn't sign at that point, reach in and do some physical assistance and help them. So put his little fingers together there for more. And as soon as a kid, a toddler who's never done this before, as soon as his fingers touch, woohoo, the party starts. Give him a, the treat that he signed for, make a big deal about it. So he understands, he makes that connection that what I did made mom give me that treat. And therapists, this is exactly how you need to teach this to parents. And you, you don't need to just do signs when you're with them. And then again, hope that parents practice. You have them down there with you so that you were saying, hey, this is why we're doing this. You know, this is, this, and you, you walk through it just like we did today. You talk about the four benefits of signing and the five prerequisites. And you say, you know, your child has met all of these and now he's ready. This is what we're gonna do. And it's, this is the first sign we're teaching him. This is a sign for more. And we want him to use it for lots of different things because I want to give him just as many opportunities as he can to link this meaning. I've got to do something to get something and that means he's developing communicative intent. So can you see as a therapist how this whole what 40 minutes that we've had so far has really helped you or should be helping you script how you teach signs to parents. And so again, that's what you should be saying. Those are the things you should be saying when you're teaching signs to not only your little clients, but their families. So that's the first sign I teach is more. The second sign I teach is eat. And again, so functional. Kids can practice this sign all day, every day. I like it because it's pretty easy. Who cares how they do it? If, 
anything near their mouth, we're going to count it as a sign for E. And so uh, talk with parents about that and how they can introduce that. The next sign I usually teach is either please or all done. And I like these three signs so much, more and eat and please, because they all look so different. And that's a, that's a problem that we have sometimes with a lot of our signs is that we might be teaching signs that look so similar. So when you're a therapist, think about that and think about how accurate a child's motor system movement is going to be. And talk to parents about that too. You know, now parents will Google their own signs, and that is fantastic. I mean, we want parents driving this process, but sometimes they'll try to teach signs that are too close together. So you'll have to talk about how at the beginning, you want a lot of differentiation because you want the child to know that these are very specific actions that I do that get me whatever it is. And you want them really making the connection too with the word that you're saying, with the sign that they're using. We'll talk about a problem called scrolling at the end, but that's where a kid just starts to do all of his signs in a row. You know, just like, what do I do? I've got to do something here. We'll talk about how to prevent that and some things that you can do. But at the beginning, if you will be pretty focused about making sure that children understand what the word is that they're signing, the word that you are saying, that's really, really gonna help really, really gonna help. All right, so those were our first three. Let's, let me quiz you, what's the sign for more? All right, what was the sign for please? You rub your chest like a request. What's the sign for eat? Yep, put it in your mouth, very good. All right, another sign that I teach pretty quickly is all done. Now, therapists will do this different ways. They can do it like this or whatever. And again, it does not matter. I like all done up here because I feel like it, uh, again, looks so different from other signs that they do. Uh, I've worked with a few families who've done American Sign Language or ASL, and so this is clapping for them. And so there is you'll just have to use your own judgment on that whether you think that's appropriate to you some families maybe who have other uh, family members who are deaf may may not like some of this overlap or that the sign for this toddler is this but it means this to everybody else you'll just have to sort of sort, sort that out but i like it for all done that way and i think it's an easy one for kids to do i also teach go and the asl way go is like that it's too hard for lots of our little friends and so i teach it just with uh, just rolling your hands and arms in a circle and I almost always teach it in the context of ready set go and I think it's a good one a lot of kids do that motion for wheels on the bus and so they sort of think about that little song they sort of think about it for go anyway so I think it's a great one to do another sign that I teach here is help and I think that's a great sign for assistance and again kids can use it all day they can use it when they're stuck, when a toy is stuck, when they need you to reach up high, when they can't get their shoe on, when the, their pacifier is landed under uh, the car seat and they can't get it, when they need you to open something for them, help is a fantastic sign. So I think about it like a hitchhiker and then I'm holding my hand up for help. Uh, I've had kids sign it again all different ways because that's kind of a hard one. A lot of kids will just put their hands together and lift their hands up. Some kids will just do, you know, a fist up. That's all right. The point is you want to make it different than the other signs that they're doing. So think about that too. And you might hold off, like if I had a kid who's doing a lot of signing like this for help, I would think about how I was gonna introduce the sign for milk, or maybe I wouldn't introduce the sign for milk at all. Maybe I would just go with drink, which is another one that I do. 
here in this all-purpose requesting. And again, sometimes if you're introducing eat and drink too soon or too quickly, you'll get some mix-up, and that's okay. Don't get too stressed out about that. But the point is you want to make these signs look as different as you can uh, from the very beginning. And so we talked about, oh, another one that I do a lot is open. And some therapists sign, I have a, and, and some families have a little guy that I'm working with right now that they sign open just with an open hand, which is fine. And don't get too caught up, like we've already said five or six times now, with accuracy or that a child's sign looks like another sign to somebody else. You just need to know what it means. And if it's meaningful for you as his or her mom or dad and or therapist, child care worker, grandmother, whatever you happen to be, that's fine. You just want, you want that meaning assigned to that child. Now, don't do something silly like, oh my goodness, I had years ago, I, taught, I, I worked with one little guy and he just did great and then they had a baby another baby like you know t almost 10 years later so I had not worked for this family in a long time and so the mom even before I got in there to do the evaluation remembered oh with our first child we learned some signs so I'm gonna go ahead and start some signs which was great I, I love that she did this she really took the initiative and she was doing everything she could but when I got there she was saying tell me more tell me more tell me more and so she had misremembered she hadn't used the sign you know in 10 years uh that she was signing more like please and those are such common signs that i did correct that and say oh we better do more like this and please like this so don't let it go that far with your uh, individualistic signs or your choices there but do do give kids leeway so that if they start to do something or again if you if they're signing help like this and you want to teach milk you need to make it look different so that mom or dad can recognize it because you know we're talking about signing reduces frustration and, and nothing would be more frustrating for a kid who can't say it than for him to sign one thing and always be given something else so um, make sure that you sort those things out let's talk about the next class of signs and you'll just have to think about it with kids uh, and I, I sort of stick to what we talked about before foods and toys and common activities and you certainly can see from that first list of those seven or eight signs that we did those will work for nearly everything and so when a kid gets there that's the point where I start to make some real distinctions here and where I start to think well we need to be a little bit more specific with this uh, signing vocabulary selection here so that we can give him more specific things to sign and so if a kid is a big eater like I'll have some kids with my snack bag that oh in an hour session 40 minutes of it is them <laughs> requesting sign requesting snacks with signs and I'll just tell you that's okay with me and some therapists would really disagree with that and say oh we can't let a kid eat like that we've got so many other things to do guys what more functional goal would there be than a child who's able to tell his mom what he wants to eat I mean nearly every parent when you first meet with them say things like I just wish I knew when he was hungry I just wish I knew what he wanted to eat and I wish she had a way instead of going in the kitchen and you know throwing herself on the floor and crying could you please give me another way to know what she wants and so that's when you start to really differentiate and remember too that one of the reasons that we're doing this is we're helping children become symbolic in preparation for what in learning to use symbols uh, words words are symbols and so we want to help them learn uh, new ways and new more specific vocabulary at this point so let me teach you some of my favorite snack kind of foods and again, I don't use signs like broccoli or uh, 
hot dog, although hot dog would probably be okay. I don't use signs that I don't think kids are really going to ask me for. Now, there will be some children who have, who love broccoli. And if you've done a great job as a parent, you might have your child who's constantly asking to eat a vegetable or a meat. But for most children, junk foods are going to be what they're more motivated to request. So let me just teach you some of these signs. Cookie is here, and I think about it like having a, making a cookie cutter in my hand. And let me just go ahead and give you the most common approximations that children will do. A lot of kids will do this for cookie. Some kids will turn it sideways and it starts to look a little bit like more, which is what some kids do for more. But when that happens, you just correct it. Just flip that little hand over. Try to get it open a little bit and say, oh, cookie, you want a cookie. And then just do a lot of really, really shaping that sign and as you are uh, giving them the specific reinforcer, which is the cookie that you're asking for. Cracker. Uh, the sign for a cracker is you lift one of your arms and you take the knuckles on your other hand. And I just realized that for the podcast I, people, you're just listening. You can't see all this great modeling that I'm doing on the YouTube video. <laughs> but you're, I want to I want to tell you in case you're listening. Uh, I should have let's let's do that for more. We let's go back to this first little set just for our podcast people. More is you're putting your fingers together for both your hands. Eat is you are putting your fingers to your mouth, kind of a clasped hand there and putting your fingers to your mouth. All done, I signed it by putting both of my hands in the air and then twisting my hands in and out. Please is that you rub your palm on your chest. Go is you... Uh, you have your fist and your arms and you are rolling your hands and your arms like you're in a circle. Think about the motions for wheels on the bus go round and round. The round and round part is what I use for go. Open, we talked about uh, some parents do a hand and let the hand come open. I do it where I start, up, start out with both hands in front of me. My hands are face down and then I turn them face up for open help. Well, I think I gave the verbal description for that. It's like you're hitchhiking, so you have a fist with your thumb up, and then you lift it up with your other hand for help, and the milk is like you are milking a cow in the air. All right, so that gets our podcast people caught up, just listeners. Okay, so for cookie, we talked about that. One hand is out, and you take your other hand, and you uh, pretend that you are doing a cookie cutter in your other hand. So that's the sign for cookie. And now we're back to where we were with cracker. Lift one of your arms and then tap your elbow with your other closed fist for cracker. I always think I'm going to crack my elbow here. That's how I teach and remember cracker. So that's a good one. Fish for goldfish. Use your hand and pretend like your hand is a fish and then it's swimming away from you. So that's the sign for fish. Candy is a popular one, and I use it for lots of different kinds of candy, for M&Ms, for gummies, for Skittles, for for Smarties, for whatever little kind of candy. Guys, I didn't say this when we were talking about why food works so well. Beyond, beyond the fact that food is a fantastic motivator for all of us, <laughs> I like these little junk food uh kinds of foods as my motivator here in this category because the pieces are small. I would never give a kid an entire bowl of cookies for him just signing cookie one time. Actually, I try to break <laughs> even the little bitty Teddy Grahams or a tiny little cookie. 
I try to break it or use half of it so that he's got another reason to go fast with me and he gets more opportunities for practice. If I had a full-size cookie, goodness, I would have a kid sign cookie or more, whatever we're using, you know, 10 different times. I would never give him the whole cookie. And again, you want these fast episodes and fast uh, turns for him practicing because that really, really integrates his ability to use that sign. He's really, really learning uh, what that motor movement is and he's getting reinforced. And he, it doesn't take, you know, 15 minutes for him to chew and eat a whole bowl of cookies. You want this moving along so that you give him lots and lots and lots of opportunities for practice. He's going to do better if he can sign something, you know, 13 times versus two times. There's a lot more practice and repetition involved in that. So be sure that you're, if you're using foods, you're using these little bitty pieces and little bitty, uh, uh, little bitty pieces of food so that you can, again, get more practice in there. Other kinds of uh, meal drinks. You, we talked about drink here, which for you podcast listeners, I'm just closing my hand in a fist and lifting it to my mouth like it's a cup. Uh, other, we talked about milk, but you can sign water, which is three fingers out. Your index finger, your middle finger, and your ring finger. It forms the sign language for W, so water right there. Juice is another one. The ASL version of this is that you hold out your pinky and you make a J in the air. I've hardly had any child, any toddler, and remember I specialize in one, two, and three-year-olds, uh, be able to do that. So most of my kids who were signing juice put an index finger out and do something <laughs> so that it looks like they're about to point, but they do something. And that's what we recognize as juice. So those were the, kind of the next little rung that I teach, especially for children who are really into eating foods. And so again, this goes back to how do we prevent a kid from getting stuck with signs? You figure out what they like. And then I think it makes more sense to me to teach lots of words within whatever their primary motivator category is. So if they were a food kid, we're going to learn a lot of different signs for junk food. And that's what we practice on. And then truthfully, that's what their parents are feeding them anyway. Or maybe not. Maybe it's, it's just such a treat for them that they like it so much that they work a little bit harder for it. So just figure that out. You know, I have had some children who love fruit. And so we learn signs like banana or signs like apple. And so talk with parents about that and really help them figure out what would be most motivating for their own children. So those are signs for food that I use. The next kinds of things that I use for kids who love toys. So you figure out what their favorite toys are and you learn some signs that match their toys. Choo-choo's always a big one and I do it just like I'm pulling the train horn and say choo-choo. The ASL sign for train, I think, is this, where you're moving the train on your tracks here with your fingers. So you have your two index fingers and your middle fingers there and you put them down like you they are right in front of you and like you're making tracks and then you have another set of trains kind of cross your fingers there. So that's how I think about train. Ball is you're holding a round ball here in front of you. So boy, this is hard for the podcast people. You're just gonna have to watch the YouTube video <laughs> so you can see the signs. But really you just put your hands in front of you like it's uh, like you're holding a ball. So a round shape there, you, you shape your fingers around the ball. Book 
is a great one for our little guys who like to look at pictures of books. So you put your hands in front of you like the book is closed and then you open your hands and keep your uh, pinkies together as they form the binding of, or the middle of the book. And so you open your palms, open your hands like you are reading a book there. I sign bubbles like I'm popping bubbles in the air. The real sign for bubbles I think is that you're blowing something from your mouth. Like, But I, I've done it for this way for over 25 years so this is what it is to me like you're popping bubbles and again it looks so different from your other signs balloon is you are blowing a balloon from your mouth car or truck you're driving so think about the steering wheel there airplane you can sign it the asl way where your thumb your pointer and your pinky are out but honestly guys i do this for toddlers i stick my both my arms out uh and they are forming the wings of the plane and that's how i sign plane baby for baby doll is like you're rocking a baby in your arms so you put your again like you're cradling a baby and then move your arms from side to side and then another favorite sign here for kids who love toys play uh, some parents I'll do this and they'll say oh you're signing hang loose and I say no we're gonna call that play <laughs> and so your thumb and your pinky are out and you are moving that and kids will do all kinds of things for that and you can already see that all done might look like play to some kids but you've got to use it in context and again don't get too weird about that and why because lots of typically developing babies and toddlers some of their words sound the same and so we don't say to them you know stop that stop saying that word because it sounds just like whatever absolutely not you just shape it and that's the same thing we do with signs so don't get too hung up on these silly reasons not to use signs other kinds of signs that I teach kids at the beginning too uh, would be things that they common animal signs kids love animals and so if they have a farm set or even if you have a pet you want to learn the sign for dog or cat or fish or whatever your pet is even things like ducks there's so many ducks or bears or bunnies on uh, children's uh, puzzles or books or even on their pajamas sometimes so look at what a kid likes uh, today I've taught you maybe what 20 20 25 different signs so certainly you can find some signs uh, to pull out and use with toddlers other important points that I want to hit before we're finished don't just teach a kid this if you're a therapist and expect that his mom or dad will be able to use it with him or even remember what it means if you just show them one or two times you've got a the vigor that you use and the effort that you use that you put into teaching a child to sign really needs to be directed toward those parents so that those parents and grandparents and nannies or daycare teachers or whoever or siblings so that they know the signs too so be sure that you're teaching everybody what those signs are don't stop teaching signs when they've just learned one or two signs and again that just blows me away when a therapist will kind of complain to me at a conference or write me an email and say I just have this kid and he's just stuck on he he won't sign signs just aren't working for us he's just really stuck and I'll say well how many does he use and she'll say two and I'll say well how many others have you taught him beyond that and then nothing silence aha we found the problem <laughs> so you've got to move kids along and teach additional signs too I also use signs in in really as a way to start to cue words too so words like more and words like go and uh, words like bye-bye you know you tie that with a gesture pair the word with the sign and that really helps so many of our little friends especially our little friends with motor planning issues or even motor issues to start with even if there's just weakness or strength issues or coordination issues 
those kinds of things, pairing a motor movement with a word can just be uh, fantastic, just a fantastic strategies, uh, strategy for so many of our little friends with that too. Let's talk about scrolling really quickly. I mentioned it and I don't want to leave this course without talking about it. What happens when a kid is, you know, going through all of his signs to try to get something? That means that he really has not linked his action with that specific word. So that tells you you've got to slow down. His cognitive system or his receptive language system is not keeping up. And so you want to be sure that you are reinforcing the sign with the correct word and help him link that together. I don't ever let a kid just run through signs. I put his little hands down and say, no, we're gonna start over. And whatever sign I've cued or think that he's spontaneously trying to use, we just go back to that and kind of start at the beginning and get his little physical body calmed down so that he learns that I've just got to do one thing at a time here. What if a kid still can't sign? What if you've just listened to this and you've started and maybe you're coming back to listen to this show for your third time or fourth time because you think, I missed something here. This is still not working. Guys, it's always the prerequisites. There's always something missing. So go back to what they were. Is this kid socially connected enough? Does he care about being with you? And if not, if he's always running away from you and he misses you sign, stop signing and work on that social connection piece. Is it receptive language? Does he not understand what candy means. You know, you may really have to spend a lot of time helping him uh, develop his ability to listen and really teaching a lot of where's the candy, show me the candy, find the candy, you like the candy, you know, you give him a piece and you say candy over and over and over and over and over until he links that, you know, that's a receptive language problem. It could be that communicative intent. You haven't found the big enough motivators for that child yet. So maybe you've been using toys and you need to switch to food. Or maybe maybe it's a busy kid who's moving all the time. You need to switch to those movement activities where you are having him sign so that you will spin him in the chair, so that you will dunk him in the water if you're in the pool, or so that you will throw him in the air, or so that you will bear hug him or tickle him or whatever. And so you've got to really, again, fine tune your motivators. It might be a motor problem. You're, you, maybe you need to make his signs easier. You need to provide some compensations. Maybe as a speech with language pathologist, you need to talk with his physical therapist or his occupational therapist or refer, get someone else to see him because you realize, gosh, this is beyond what I can do. This is beyond my area of expertise here. So when, when you're looking at these things or, or maybe, you know, I said in the beginning, the fifth prerequisite here is that a kid's not symbolic. He's not using any gestures on his own. Maybe you need to go back and work on those things too with really helping them learn how to wave bye-bye and clap and give you high fives and do those things, those first little, or bang on the high chair tray in imitation of you. Maybe you need to back up to imitating objects with, uh, imitating actions with objects, which would come before this body motor imitation piece. And so again, when a kid can't sign, don't just give up on it. Look at what's the reason here? Where's my missing piece? Why? And it always, always drives back to those prerequisites or he's just not getting enough repetition and practice. And we can fix that because we can get parents on board with us and we as therapists can really double down and commit and start that repetition and practice piece and get everybody on board with doing that. All right, so let me give you a couple of resources. If you are a parent and you want to get the written summary of this, it's uh, you can get it by 
participating in our continuing education course registration and even though you don't need the credit or the certificate or any of that you'll get the handout for this the summary so with these list of signs and again the prerequisites if you're a therapist you should be committing that to memory so that you can explain to parents why that's not working. If you want something a little more detailed, I have two great books for you. I've written a whole line of therapy manuals that are designed for not only therapists or professionals, but for parents. And I have parents who tell me all the time, this changed things for me and my child. This really helped me at home know what I was supposed to do with my child to help him. So uh, this book, Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual, really is a comprehensive guide for working with any child with receptive language issues, meaning that they aren't always following commands yet, they're not always making those connections, or expressive language, and there's a fantastic section on signs, and then what you do beyond signs, how you get those signs as spoken words, so that's Teach Me to Talk the Therapy Manual. And if your child just has expressive language issues, meaning that he's just a late talker, he's connected to you, he's he follows directions. There aren't any issues with that. You're just having a hard time getting this talking piece going. Get this book. It's called Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers, and it's a manual that walks you through how to teach imitation. If you have kids who aren't copying and aren't repeating what you're doing, imitation is just a foundational skill for helping them learn how to talk. So take advantage of these resources and all of my things are sold exclusively at my website, teachmetotalk.com. And you can get the link right there if you're watching uh, on YouTube. But if you are listening by podcast, it's teachmetotalk.com. All right, that's all for today. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist. And thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. <laughs>